everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Gail Smith, and joining me this week is uh, Maxwell Haddad. Um, Max, uh, say hi to everyone, and where are you from? Hey, uh, how are you doing today, Gail? I'm doing very, I'm doing very well. I, it's nice and raining, but it's beautiful rain. Good. Sometimes rain is just what the doctor ordered, especially if it's been very dry. Yes, yes, it is. It's been a very dry spring uh, for us in Georgia. Good. Um, but uh, so, uh, Max, since you are the guest of our show, uh, what are we talking about this week? Uh, we are going to be talking about the first season of what I hope is many seasons, uh, we'll see, of the Netflix TV show Heartstopper, based on the graphic novel of the same name. Hypothetically, what sort of boy do you want to go out with? Happy New Year to a boy. Well, if it isn't Charlie Spring, Happy New Year. You're over there. It's the Nicholas Nelson. Hi. Hi. Nick Nelson. He is the star player on the rugby team. We are a trio of borderline outcasts. He's different. Hey. It's literally just another silly crush. It's not a crush. Hi. 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 Come on. Dream guy. I don't know. Just someone I can have a laugh with. He's the straightest person I have ever seen. Thank you. Uh, yes, we are talking about Heartstopper. I have been wanting, uh, I had, the moment I heard about this, which was only a couple months ago, I was like, oh, this is exciting, you know, and like, I loved the trailer, loved everything, and then watching the show, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm very, I'm a very, very excited person. Uh, and also, according to Wikipedia, on May 20th of, so just a few days ago, it was announced that Heartstopper was renewed for a second and a third season. Amazing. So, good. Yes. 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 So I can post good news. Uh, I, I don't have to be like, well, we'll see, you know, we'll hope. we don't, that's not going to be our conversation. We know going in that there's going to be at least two more of these. Thank Wonderful. Um, yeah. Cause uh, like I said, this is based on the graphic novel and there, I believe are four volumes that have been published so far. And this first season is predominantly just the first volume. So there's a lot more story that happens in the successive novels. Some of the supporting characters get more of a light shed on them. Um, and even if I was not as familiar with the graphic novels, just as a television viewer, it feel, felt to me that there was definitely more story to be told when the season comes to an end. It works, it has a resolution. If it didn't get renewed, there's not like cliffhangers, but there's definitely more stories to be told with these characters. So I'm gratified that that's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, not to, not to like go right to the end, but I mean, that's what I will, but in a non-spoiler way, I will kind of say like, it was great to be like, okay, this is a complete story. This is really in an, in an overview sense, this is a story of how two people meet. This is a story of how two boys meet. Uh, and how they become comfortable with, you know, with them being a couple, with them being boyfriends. And that's the arc of the story. And I know for, you know, I know for uh, the, I know for our, the LGBTQ community, I know like so many people are like, we've got, we've already had so many coming out stories. And yes, Heartstopper season one is mostly a show about coming out, but I think you know, I think they were, I think uh, Euroslin and Alice o Osman, is that Alice Osman? Osman, Osman, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. O-S-E-M-A-N, so maybe Osman, but yeah. Uh, I think they were both just like hoping that they would at least get a second season, a third season to really kind of dive well more into the relationships 
well more into like those dynamics, well more into, you know, all the tensions, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, cause this was very much like a, it's a story, complete story, but it's very much a tease. It's very much what I call a pilot season. Like a season that's just devoted to, this is what the show's gonna be going forward. And we hope that we're gonna have numerous, not just like two, three, four. We're hoping we're gonna have like more than like eight or nine. We're hoping for like a syndication kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, to, kind of life. to yeah. your point, it is definitely a coming out story in many ways. And it's, you know, a very classic coming of age story, but, um, what I like, how, how are we avoiding spoilers? Are we going to dive into spoilers? Um, okay, so I do like to have a little non-spoilery, but I guess since the show's been okay. out for a month, we can kind of be like, we like the show, we're moving on. <laughs> we can do that. Well, okay, so what, what, I, what, what struck me about this and why I think it stands out compared to other coming-of-age stories that we've seen recently is although it doesn't necessarily shy away from certain, <clears throat> excuse me, levels of bullying and trauma that can come with being a young queer person trying to discover their identity, there is an inherent sweetness and kindness and almost idealized state of being to the show that I think allows it to have this warm quality that certain other similar stories don't have. Because, you know, I'm, you know, in the interest of candor, I am consider myself pansexual. I am queer. My sexuality mm -hmm. yes. has been a constant uh, evolution, and I'm still every day trying to fully understand what that means for me. I've dated men. I've dated women. So <clears throat> for me, I find a lot of queer stories, especially about younger queer people, they deal so heavily with trauma and pain. It's almost as if writers feel that the only way to tell an engaging story about young queer people is to be about their struggle and their pain. And what I loved about this first season of television is that it doesn't, like I said, shy away. There is still some bullying. There is still some pain. That's not the main impetus of the story. It is a love story. And that is what I think makes it really special because queer people deserve, you know, love stories too. Like they deserve romantic comedies. They deserve high school dramas like this that straight people have gotten since the invention of filmed media, right? So to have these stories- Even before told, that theater and- Right, literary. yeah, even, you know, going back to Greek theater hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? So okay. it's really nice and great find that we are now like uh, another one I look to that I think is a great point of comparison for the show is Love Victor the Hulu Disney Plus show that's a spinoff of Love Simon the movie where these two shows and these stories are more about the everyday stuff you would expect to see in a straight high school show it just so happens that they're queer and that to me is really comforting. That means we, although there's still so much work to do, we've reached a point where we could tell these stories and it doesn't have to be about suicide, about intense trauma, about, you know, all of the struggles that can exist and are legitimate in storytelling, but that's not the only way to do it. Absolutely, right. And, and, and to your point, I think the reason why the bullying and all that is still in the show is to add to not make it so divorced from reality. Like there has to be some authenticity to, like there has to be some authenticity to uh, the reality of these characters of, you know, of Nick and, Char and Charlie. And so, I mean, you have, so I mean, there has to kind of be, but I mean, you know, it is, but you're right. It's not about the struggles. It's about the blossoming of one relationship and actually maybe even more than one there might be a blossom of another relationship there's a blossoming of maybe another one over here and you know and even more so it's not just about relationships too it's about the blossoming of individual characters as well like l like she is now you know she has finally come into her own she's fully transitioned uh and now she has to 
you know, find her own way to blossom into her own and a new environment in an environment that's outside of her own. And to me, it's that kind of storytelling where it's like, you know, it's a heart, not to bring in a pun, it's a heart stopping, you know, uh, way of like, you know, the ups and downs of like, of relationship, especially for queer people, especially for, uh, for, for people like, for people like us, you know, like that's for me, like, you know, that's like the ups and downs of like, how do we read relationships? How do we read what's happening in someone's mind? Like, those are the kind of things that really only exist, you know, inside queer, like YA fiction. Mm -hmm. Maybe, 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 maybe you've read more like that's outside of that's but I mean, to me, it's only existed in stuff like, you know, um, oh gosh, Becky Albertalli's Simon Verse story. Yep, which um, I've read all of those. I, I, um, um, Adam I, I, I read a lot, but I agree that the best queer fiction being written in the last decade is YA stuff. I have a very good friend who um, runs a very popular YouTube, uh, rather Instagram and TikTok called A Very Queer queer book blog yes and predominantly predominantly what he talks about is YA stuff because for whatever reason most of the the heartwarming non-trauma based queer stories are being written for young audiences which I think there's something potent and powerful to that because if a young person who is struggling with their identity doesn't know or understand how they fit in this world maybe isn't getting the acceptance they deserve from those in their everyday life to see stories like this can have a lot of impact. I've spoken to quite a few people, and, and I felt this way too, to a certain extent, who wishes stories like Heartstopper existed when I was 13 or 14 or 15 and was really struggling with trying to understand where I fit in. In particular, and I'm gonna spoil one little thing here. That's fine. The, the character Nick really spoke to me, not because I was an athlete or popular, but because I think it's particularly rare to have a bisexual character in a show or a story like this coming to terms and understanding their bisexuality. And that I think is really special because I find so often bisexual characters lean into the tropes of them being the mustache twirling villain or being, you know, their bisexuality yeah. is sort of used as a way to have them be really selfish or right, exactly. And this felt really tender and honest. And I loved Nick's journey in particular as he realized, oh wait, just because I'm into this guy doesn't mean I'm not also into women. My sexuality is open and fluid and it's just about how I feel about a particular person. And that to me is why this show spoke to me on a really personal level and I felt that way about the graphic novels too. This is one of my favorite modern queer stories because it presents a bisexual male so openly and honestly and without any like malicious aspect to it as, as is so often seen and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it opens and that's what was so appealing about Nick as well is that he's, I mean, he's known to everyone. I mean, even like Tao comment or Tao or L comments that he's like the straightest person there ever is. But I mean, even like someone like him could be grappling with like his own feelings, his own, uh, you know, his own sexuality, his own like, and not have a way to really explore it because the internet makes it even more confusing or more broad and then he only finds comfort in this in youtube like just someone actively talking about it right. and being like okay i think i have a definition i have you know something a label if you will um which i i i, sh I could i can't speak to the bisexual experience but i uh, but I mean, I kind of assume like it takes a lot longer to find your label. It takes a lot longer to. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, okay. I, I am very open person. So I'll share a little bit about my experience since you brought it up. So yeah. as, as early share, as. Share only what you want, if you would. 
Yeah, no, that, that's fine. I appreciate that. So like as early as middle school, you know, 13, 12, 13 years old, I knew to a certain extent that I was not fully straight by the you know typical definition of that. I also didn't know what I was or what it meant because even though I started, you know, like I remember vividly when seeing like super into obi-wan right ewan mcgregor's always been like my number one male celebrity crush to this day right but by the same token just using those movies as an example i found myself attracted to natalie portman um but even then in like the late 90s early 2000s you didn't hear many people use the word bisexual talk about it and I found in my experience that it's per, a particularly more of a stigma for men than women, because I think when women say they are bisexual, men sort of like fetishize that straight men, right? Yes. So if we fast forward to college, when, you know, your first couple of weeks of college, it's all about you having an opportunity to introduce yourself and make yourself however you see fit, right? You are now not with people you've ever known before. You you can reinvent yourself if you want it. So early mm-hmm. college is really the first time where I started using the term bisexual. And it really didn't go that well for me because most people would be like, oh, well, you're just lying. You're definitely gay and you just don't want to admit it to yourself. And I've spoken to a lot of other men who now consider themselves whether bisexual or pansexual. I prefer pansexual if we're labeling anything at all, although I find labels to be reductive and restrictive. Anyways, that's another conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, yeah. So so to be be told by other people that I must be lying, that, you know, no man is actually into both men and women, you're just gay and admit it, really confused me. And yet in college, I dated men and women. So... All I knew is what I knew for myself, right? And now as a grown adult living my life, you know, particularly in New York, I find when I meet people and it, it, you know, it is revealed in whatever way that I'm pansexual or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, cool, me too. Or I have a friend like that, right? It's become far more accepted. I'm very lucky to live in a very liberal open city like New York where there's, uh, immense, beautiful queer culture that I am a small part of. I go to bars and I know a lot of people, but anyways, there is yeah. a stigma for bisexual men that I've read articles and studies that in some cases, bisexual men end up more discriminated against than gay men because people have a harder time understanding what that means and, and recognizing that there can be an authenticity and honesty to me or someone else saying, I like everybody. To me at the end of the day and why I like the term pansexual is it doesn't even boil down to gender. To me, if I am into a person, it's who they are as a person. What's in their heart, what's in their soul, what's in their mind, whatever fucking, sorry, I hope we can curse on here, whatever genitalia. Yes, yes. yes whatever, please cuss, please right. fucking curse. Whatever fucking genitalia they they do or don't have <laughs> is like not even top 10 on the list of why I might find myself interested in a person. Physical beauty yes. is exciting. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not. But when I find myself attracted to someone or considering going on a date or being with someone, it's not about gender. That doesn't. And so that's pansexuality to me. And so to see this story, going back to Heartstopper. Yeah. About a oh. high school kid, particularly a kid who, you know, Nick is an athlete. He's a popular kid. He's amazing at rugby. This is the type of character who in like and a, he has CW a good standing in school or a WB show. Right. He's 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 smart. This is the type of character who might be the lead in like a Dawson's Creek or OC type show in the 90s or 2000s yeah. mm-hmm. oh, yeah. who would be straight who would be brooding or in other shows might even be the bully character because of how he stands. And so what is so great, I think about Heartstopper is this archetype, the popular athletic, intelligent, you know, universally loved kid in the school is like, you know what? I'm bisexual. I'm falling for Charlie. And it explores that relationship. And it explores how 
friends and the other popular or athletic kids react to that. And I think that makes this really potent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And that's why it works. It works because, and I think that's why everyone I've talked to or everyone I've seen on Twitter or Instagram has fallen in love with this because, I mean, even going to my experience, I mean, like, I didn't know, I didn't understand sexuality until high school. And then I really didn't start to, to really explore that for me until I was in college. And that's when I found out I was gay was so, and going from, and then being out and open about it, because I knew I had to be out and open about it. You still, from Charlie's point of view, you know, cutting from Nick's to Charlie's point of view, you feel the shame, you feel the, you know, like, you feel the, like, you know, discrimination. You feel like all the jokes, you feel all the butt of the jokes. And, um, and so that for, so I mean, that to me was like relatable, but also just heartbreaking to have this one kid who was already out. Did he come out on his own or was he outed? I'm trying to remember the early episodes. It doesn't, from what I remember, I don't think it specifies. It just sort of starts with him being out. Uh, it doesn't okay. dive back before this this series really starts to explain how he came out. And what what's interesting is as a sort of um, uh, like opposite comparison to Nick's journey, Charlie does, oh no, okay, it does say, so he was recently outed. So, but regardless, we have one character who is open and everyone knows he's queer and what that means. And then the other character who is really just coming to terms with it. And that's an interesting dichotomy between the two characters because Charlie is clear and comfortable in his sexuality, even though he struggles in a lot of other ways. Um, there's actually, I know I'm jumping around a little, there's a conversation that happens midway through the season that really resonated with me. And it's about how Charlie always is apologizing for things to the point where it almost feels like he is apologizing for his existence. And Nick, yeah. who sees Charlie for who Charlie is and is starting to love Charlie for who Charlie is, has to shut him down and be like, stop apologizing for everything. Be proud of who you are. I love and like you for who you are. And I think a lot of people, whether queer people or any marginalized or ostracized individual, whether it be a nerd in school, whether it be a person of color, whether it be a queer person, I think goes on an individual journey of reconciling their place in this world. And if their existence is valid and legitimate to the point where it makes people want to apologize for every little thing, whether it be, oh, I'm five minutes late, or, oh, am I being too cloying or annoying, or, oh, I'm sorry, I texted you so much. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is something I do, right? I this do is, too. I'm I guilty do. of it. And someone who I am seeing now, um, that person and I have had this exact conversation. So when this scene in the show came up, I was sort of floored to see it being portrayed on screen. The notion of, listen, stop apologizing for every little thing. You're not doing anything wrong. Save your apologies for when you actually fuck up, right? Because people make mistakes and those are the moments when you apologize, but like you don't have to sit and apologize for everything. And so the way that the relationship between Nick and Charlie evolves and what I think is so beautiful is how they help each other. Charlie helps Nick comes to terms with his sexuality and Nick helps Charlie come to terms with his confidence and sense of self and his, the validity of his existence. And the best relationships and why I think Nick and Charlie are such an incredible on-screen couple, the best relationships are the ones where the two partners are equal and they can each lift each other up and help each other become a better person as individuals and as a unit. I think we'll see a lot of times, whether in real life or in fiction, lopsided couplings where 
one person, you know, this sort of stems back to like the notion of the manic pixie dream girl, right? Where, or manic pixie dream boy or whatever it may be, where one person exists to make the other person feel good about themselves, but that person is not giving anything back to the other person. And I think Nick and Charlie work so well together because they are giving each other things they both need and helping each other find their place. And that's powerful. One of my favorite, I think my favorite scene in the whole show uh, so far is that uh, there's a scene with uh, Nick and Tao at the end of the, the, the season uh, finale. And they both talk about Charlie. They both have the the lunch. They come, the as I call it, the come to Jesus uh, lunch with Charlie. And and they both have this grand understanding of of Charlie. And it's just like this moment of like, because in the last episode, I think we ended with Charlie beating his drums and his sister coming in and him telling his sister you know I don't know like I feel like it's a nuisance I I am paraphrasing but it's a nuisance to be existing yeah and and then you see the scene in the following episode where these two characters that both care and love Nick or Charlie at the same same time they're both trying they're both they have this amazing understanding uh, but coming from two different places. One from knowing uh, Charlie for only a couple months and then one for knowing Charlie for like five or six years. Yeah. And they both have a common ground and they both cr- kind of, you know, answer each other's questions about like what, about Charlie and that kind of thing. And, you know, meet certain, you know, humanities, if you will, like they they both have that conversation and yeah and it's just like if there is ever a moment where a character could just like step out of their reality and just see you know how they are seen by other people that would have been the moment like for Charlie that's such a um, powerful notion that you just said like and i've actually thought about this before just for my own self or other people's self like i think everyone to a certain extent deals with issues of self-esteem and self-confidence, right? Even if not, especially the most outwardly confident people, maybe to the point of arrogance, are oftentimes compensating for how they're feeling on the inside, right? But so often how we feel about ourselves does not reconcile with how other people see us. So I think one of the greatest gifts anyone can be afforded is to finally get to see the reality and truth of how other people see us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish there was like a machine where we could like put ourselves in someone else's mind for like, like a couple a hours. Reality. Yeah, and just be like, oh wow, so many people see me as so much lovelier or better or whatever word or than terrible. I see my or terrible, sure, than I see myself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, 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 but yeah, um, but yeah, and to me that was, and also it's the moment where Nick realizes he has to at least be open a little bit, give a little bit back to Charlie, you know, especially since Charlie, here's the other thing we have not mentioned yet is that Charlie at the beginning of the show is breaking off a relationship, like a, I wouldn't even call it a relationship, just like a thing. A fling? Yeah, maybe. That's be might be generous. Um like it's he's breaking it off with some other kid and who does uh, not treat uh Charlie Wright in any way. No, absolutely not. Th- this uh, character, uh Ben played by Sebastian Croft, is I would wager to say a self-hating gay. Oh, he has so much reserve. So homophobia. much, so much internalized homophobia and shame for his own existence that he takes. He even though he does hook up with and date Charlie for a little bit, he takes all of his own pain and outwardly projects that onto Charlie, and that is was really painful to watch. But you see, this stuff happens a lot. 
it's, and then yeah. the like the the um like the reverse mirror of what happens with Nick and Charlie compared to Charlie and Ben was so nice, but also explained some of Charlie's hesitation to dive into this thing with Nick because he does not want to go through the same thing again because Ben and Nick have in common that they're both athletes, they're on the rugby team, they're both in the quote unquote popular group. So if anything, Charlie has a type, straight presenting boys who play sports. <laughs> You go, Charlie. Go for you. Good for uh, you, Charlie. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, but no, but yes. Um, but yeah, no, a char, uh, what was I going to say? But no, and, and Ben is still recovering from that trauma. Or not Ben. Uh, Charlie's recovering from that trauma. <laughs> and, and so that's what's, you know, been the catalyst of the whole season with Charlie of committing or like maybe they should commit here, but you know, maybe I should pull back here, you know, it's so, and that's been the conflict because Nick is very much like, like he's trying to communicate, but all he could still feel is Ben's own doubts, his own homophobia that's been exerted to him, if right. you will. And I so, think that's partly why um, Charlie's friend Tao, who is uh, other than Nick and Charlie, one of my favorite characters because he see, I think Tao inherently sees the similarities between Nick and Ben and in an interest of protecting Charlie from getting hurt again is trying to help Charlie walk this line. You could end up in the same place and getting hurt again. And I love the, so Ch Tao is Charlie's best friend they've known each other a long time um and as charlie and nick start dating more and more and, and this happens with relationships all the time right you dive so headfirst into your relationship that it's easy to forget about your friends for a little bit and the, the other people yeah who and I've, I've i've done this too and i'm you know yeah. i think a lot of people have oh, we're like, both guilty. yeah we're yeah, I'm guilty when, of it too yeah I'm, I'm guilty of it and and i've had to make my apologies and mend fences with with people like I am so sorry that I got so passionately into this new relationship that I didn't give you my very good friend the time that you deserved. Um, but I wanna backtrack if it's okay and talk about Olivia Coleman a little bit. Oh yeah. So <laughs> Olivia Coleman obviously has is, is revealed herself to be one of the greatest actresses of this generation. Um, she has an Oscar, she has more nominations. She has, I believe she's won an Emmy now for The Crown if I'm not mistaken. This woman is a main character in the show. She filmed all of her scenes in two days. <laughs> yeah, she pulled a Naomi Harris from my Moonlight. Correct, correct, exactly. That's a perfect comparison. Naomi went on to get an Oscar nomination and there's an argument that she should have won. Um, I would make that argument. Um, yeah. But Olivia plays Nick's mom. And it's a small part. She's sort of just there to fill in the sidelines until Nick's coming out scene, right? And you had to know, like as an audience member watching this, you had to know this was coming. And as a queer person, there's always a fear when you're watching something, when the character finally comes out to their parent, how it's gonna go. And I hate to keep bringing it back to this, but to me, the most recent and cogent point of comparison is the Love, Simon movie. When Simon first comes out to his parents, and it goes so well, there's like a, a little bit, you know, a little bit yeah. with his mom, especially, right? It goes yeah. is pretty well. And I'm a huge Jennifer Garner fan and she's fantastic in that movie and that scene. But anyways, there's a sigh of relief, right? Where whether it be because yourself wishes it went that way for you or you just care so much about this character. And so when Nick finally comes out to his mother, it goes so simply and so beautifully. And the mom was just like, as long as you're happy, great. And, and that might be idealized, but I think that's an important message to send because there are a lot of parents out there who need to realize that the only thing that really matters is your child's health and happiness. And if that means accepting them for who they are as a bisexual person, 
And, and even in the scene, the, the mom is like, you don't have to say you're bisexual if you're not. Yeah, you could say you're gay. yeah, gay. But he's like, no, I, I am into both. And I, I like that too, because it touched a little bit on how some people think that that boys especially will say they're bisexual just because they don't want to come out fully and say they're gay. So that was a really lovely scene. And it's really the only important scene Olivia Coleman has in the whole season for the, the most of the part, otherwise she's just like the thankless mother role. But man, you couldn't have picked a better actress to sell that one pivotal scene. Oh yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, you need someone like that. And it could have just went to any, I mean, in great English character actress. It yeah. could have went to any any of them. Um, but, um, but getting Olivia Coleman, an Oscar winner, that's what's so great about these like, you know, now like YA coming out stories or YA queer fiction stories where there's the parents involved is we get to have these stars that, you know, are kind of like, you know, that are kind of like, you know, the moms or the dads of, you know, you know, of life, they get to basically be the ones, you know, to hear their ch children coming out or their, their children uh, characters coming out and then get to, you know, tell, you know, their children, as well as, you know, in a meta way, the audience, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be, you know, bisexual. It's okay to be gay or it's okay to be, you know, any of these. Uh, so that's, you know, it, it's perfect. And it, you know, it, it is such a cliche, but I think a lot of times cliches exist because they're so true. Representation matters. Yeah. That, that is the beginning and the end of that people need to see something akin to themselves reflected in their filmed entertainment in order for society to shift, to understand that not only do people like that exist, but they're the same as you and me, or, you know, or, or Joe Schmo Blow, who, who lives wherever, right? Like, yeah. you know, and, and I think we've seen a push for this um, more and more recently, some people will just say, oh, it's the overwokeification of media, like really a woman or a gay character in this. Screw that. Like representation matters because honestly, and I've always said something, you know, I'm paraphrasing myself, but if, if, if this show, for example, affects one single kid who watches it and all of a sudden comes to terms with themselves and and realizes that there are other people like them and they're okay, that representation matters. It can affect one person and it's done its job. It just so happens that this show has been sort of like an unexpected overnight success. And this to me is like one of the great recent Netflix stories where the show kind of dropped at, without much fanfare. We all know how Netflix is so terrible at marketing their own stuff. That's yeah. a whole other conversation. Yeah, I mean, we this can talk about- This is a word of mouth success. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, even like for their biggest movies, I mean, they have the gray man coming out in six weeks and we're just now getting a trailer tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> they really are just like, here it is, here it is, here it is. And maybe, you know, and, but, uh, and then, yeah, you're right. It's another conversation, but, uh, but, but even... I think, I think it's a, a slightly important conversation just for this show, because this show is the exception that proves the rule where every once in a while Netflix will drop a show with no fanfare and based purely on word of mouth, it will become beloved, it will become talked about, and will now get a pickup for not one but two more seasons at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a cheap yeah. show to make other than Olivia Coleman, like none of the actors are anyone of note, and now they're all going on to have careers. Uh, Kit, Connor, and Joe Locke, who play Nick and Charlie, their Instagram followers have exploded from like 100,000 each to millions. And, and um, Yasmin Finney, who is incredible, by the way, a young transgender actress, just got cast as the new companion for when Doctor Who relaunches with a new doctor next year. Yes. And that's, that's incredible. And so if this show also becomes like a jumping off point for all these incredibly talented actors and actresses, that's amazing. And I love too, I love that um, from my understanding, all of the actors in this cast who are playing queer characters are queer themselves. I am not the type of person who will sit there and say that straight actors can't play 
gay roles and vice versa. I personally don't believe that, but by the same token, especially when you have a show with a young cast, I think it's really nice that they cast people who can authentically speak to these experiences. Right, okay, so, and that's been kind of my thing, because I mean, I get like why you would do it for Love, Simon, or do it for um, a big like movie, but uh, but per but I mean personally personally I always go well you have to cast well I mean you don't have to how do I put this you need to look at other like other care actors first like other queer actors you know because I mean and also like they're and also queer actors can or or just actors themselves they're gonna bring their own experiences to the role they're gonna bring their own personality right. they're gonna bring their own you know that's part of casting that's always part of casting too you always are going to bring a something to the table right something a past experience of or whatever and 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 for me it's always a case-by-case basis in this yes. conversation i i have to look at each case i would never make a blanket statement and say straight actors should never play queer roles because there have been right. some amazing performances but then you look at something like Netflix's uh, Ryan Murphy adaptation of the Broadway musical, The Prom, and you have a character, Barry, who presents in a very effeminate, flamboyant way. And then you have, right, stereotypical, which on stage was done for warmth and comedic effect by an actor who is not dissimilar from that in his everyday life, Brooks Ashmanskis. But then you hire a straight actor, James Corden, and it's hard not to look at it as poking fun or being offensively stereotypical. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, and also for theater, you have to play outwardly to Correct. the crowd. Absolutely, so, it's, it's always going to be broader. You're playing towards yes. the last row of the mezzanine or the balcony. But on film, it's usually going to be far more restrained. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's much more confined, and you can go, you the, can pull, peel back. The yeah. only other point I want to make about this, and then we can go back to the show, because like all great art, and I, I would wager to say Heartstopper is great art, it's going to spurn oh, all yeah. sorts of conversations on topics, right? So on the point of should straight actors play queer roles, there is a notion, and this is important to me no person owes anyone else their truth. And I have seen cases before where the internet will go off. Like, let's use Becky Albertrelli as an example. She wrote all of the Creekwood books, Love, Simon, um, Becky on the Mm -hmm. Offbeat, which is fantastic, all of those books. There were some people online who were saying that as a straight woman, she was exploiting young queer stories. And it got to the point where she felt forced to come out as a bisexual woman and say, well, you assumed I was straight because I have dated men, but that's not true. So that's sort of the inverse of this. We don't necessarily ever know someone's sexuality or identity and they or anyone do not owe us as audience members their truth. If they choose to come out, that's great. And if they don't, that's great too. So you don't always know, but for Heartstopper, this beautiful, warm, young show about young queer kids figuring themselves out, the fact that they cast people who can speak authentically to it, I thought was very potent. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And okay, but yeah, I was trying to think of what the point I was gonna make, Um, but no, it's, you're right, and then also you have a gate uh, a gate director directing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a Slynn, um, uh, who's done numerous television, uh, did some work on Daredevil, uh, Doctor Who, I, Doctor Who. Uh, um, I think I think he did a couple episodes of the HBO His Dark Materials show. That's right. Um, uh, he, he's a very talented director, and and speaking of the directing. Um, one of the things I loved, loved, loved about this show is how it paid respect and homage to the fact that this is inspired by graphic novels with so many flourishes of little illustrations throughout the show. And I thought that was so, so beautiful. How you would see like butterflies, like hand-drawn cartoony graphic novel lightning. style butterflies, lightning. 
And every time that happened, it literally stopped my heart a little bit to play on the title of the show. It was like so sweet, but in a way that felt earned and not like twee or cloying. Every time I was like, oh, that was so good. No, this, I mean, the show perfectly balances the tone because if it was going for a more colder, off realistic, like this is what high school's like. Right. Um, then yeah, the, you know, the strikes, the lightning strikes and the kiss, the hearts would kind of be out of tone, out of tone. Um, but because the show balances authenticity with idealism, mm-hmm. um, versus the cold narcissist or cold nihilism, it, you know, it, it's warranted. It's warranted to have, and now even funnier, uh, Miss Marvel, like in a couple of weeks, is going to have a similar, yeah, or similar, you know, graphics going on, and it's just like, and and I, you know, you brought it up. I'm really excited for Miss Marvel because, and this probably also goes into why I love the show so much. I've always been a whore for teen and high school set stories. I'm going to be 35 in a couple of weeks, and some of my favorite stuff is still high school shows. I've always loved them and I probably always will because it, I think I think there's something special about being able to, you know, live moments in high school that you didn't get to. And I've actually spoken to a lot of people about this show. I, I have not yet met someone who didn't like it, but I have met a few people who found it such an idealized version of what it can be that it made them depressed about how they were not afforded the same acceptance and warmth or young love that this show shows. And that's the downside of the show. Right. Is that, and that's the downside, I mean, of all of this recent queer, of queer adaptations like Love, Simon and this, um, is that, you know, it's so idealized and it's so, I mean, not to keep you know harping on love simon a movie i really do like uh i mean simon has like liberal parents in georgia uh yeah. and he lives in and he lives like in the Atlanta suburbs so it's like that is not going to uh, be everyone's experience yeah it's yeah absolutely especially for uh people in my especially for uh queer people in my state so right. it's just not going to happen um and it's going to make people depressed or, or I shouldn't say not happen. It's it's just like there's a reality that's you know not gonna. But I mean, on the other hand, you hope that by presenting something that's not cold and nihilistic, you hope that you know it will ins- it will give someone a warm blanket. I agree, and and it boils down to something that I have always talked about. I I, I don't think any work of fiction has to be representative for all people. And what I mean by that is, you know, you brought up Love, Simon and being in Georgia and how he has liberal parents. That's one specific story, right? It might be idealized, but it's not sitting there and saying, this is how it is for every young, you know, boy in in Georgia who's coming to terms with his sexuality. This is one way it can go. I always, I always think of the show Girls, which I was hot and cold on depending on the episode, but there was a big conversation with that show about how it was not, uh, like a lot of people didn't identify with it as their young New York experience being in their 20s as a woman growing up in New York. Okay, but is that really a knock against the show itself or is it just you saying, well, this was not my experience? So representation matters, but a work of art does not have to be for everyone. You can tell specific stories. You could tell idealized stories and it's up to the audience to understand that this is one way it can go. This is fiction. If my experience was not the same as this, is that a knock against the art or is that me bringing non-contextual personal things to my critique of the art? And that's a conversation worth having. And I think it's an important conversation with Heartstopper. And it brings back to what I was saying about how it's nice to see queer stories that aren't trauma focused. There can be all kinds of stories and it's up to you as an individual to find the ones that reckon, that like resonate and work for you. 
Absolutely. Ab absolutely. But you know, yeah, and 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 I'm not and again. I don't. I'm not trying to beat down these uh, movies or shows. I was just like that. And you're right. It is all about your experience. And yeah, I mean, and that's just the thing. But I mean, you can't. The creators themselves, the auteurs, and the auteurs, the authors themselves, they cannot control that. They're right. telling one story, and maybe if there was more. And I'm saying this in hindsight, maybe if there was more, you know, movies and TV shows like this, maybe people would feel less differently. Like maybe yeah. if there was more variety, mm -hmm. um, maybe people would feel, but I mean, that's again, not even the author's fault. That's not the author's fault. That's not anyone's fault other than- The, the, the fault of the author becomes when something is so, idealized that it loses its authenticity or it's misrepresented right but you know using the two examples we keep talking about heartstopper and love simon slash love victor which is about to have its final season even though one could correctly argue that it's such a best case scenario of how teenage coming out can go for me they both still feel like they have authenticity and are telling the story with the right intent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, both stories have the ups and downs of, you know, of what the characters are going through, of the characters, you know, for Simon's coming out and losing, you know, everything, you know, when he does or when he's outed, excuse me. Um, and, and then for this, it's the ups and downs of, confidence it's the ups and downs of not being able to read what that other person's thinking not being you know able to communicate or not being able to fully understand because you're still working through your insecurities or your it's all of it's all human-based relationships it's all like or human-based flaws absolutely that cause the ups and downs of heartstopper of the show and yeah <laughs> and um and that's to me like what makes it so unique but also so authentic and and yeah and um and we haven't even touched on some of the other relationships tal and ellie um darcy and tara um yeah i i think I'm and sorry, Isaac's just the seventh wheel. And Isaac is just there to be the seventh wheel. Yeah. Well, for, you know, Tao and Ellie, I think, is really beautiful because the show very clearly states that Tao is straight. And although it doesn't become obvious in tor towards later on, uh, Ellie is a, is a transgender woman. And I think it's really, really important for stories to be told where it's clear that a straight man falling for a transgender woman is just a man falling in love with a woman because transgender women are women, transgender men are men. That is the beginning and end of it as far as I'm concerned. And so a straight man falling for a transgender woman is not mean that they're queer. It means that they're falling for a woman. And that this so simply tells that story without any pretense or any other extraneous bullshit and I am very hopeful and in fact confident that their relationship will be explored further in seasons two and three that's really cool that's really really cool to see yeah I mean we're only getting teases with that relationship um I mean we know that Ellie is very much into Tao mm -hmm. uh and we know why she's very much like I want to hold off as long as I can because she don't want to complicate, she don't want to lose a friendship over a relationship, which is completely valid. Very valid. I have, I have in the past, and I know a lot of people have that, you know, mm -hmm. you take the risk of someone you're really close with and you decide to take it to a romantic level. And if it doesn't work out, it's not always easy to go back to being good friends because yeah. Tao and Ellie's friendship is beautiful. 
Tao is a great character. Like as a film nerd, I'm sure you related to him wanting to show his friends all of these art films that they're like, I don't want to watch this. And Tao's like, but it's so good. Watch it. Like I've been there, bro. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Let me show you a copy of, uh, let me show you uh, Rashomon from Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, you mean like... you don't want to sit and watch Andre Rublev from the seventies? I have it on Criterion. Come on. And they're like, um, can we watch Happy Gilmore? I'm like, I mean, I like that too, but come on. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Guys, that, they that, don't have that is another aspect. Like if you if any of the listeners are like, oh, should I watch a show? If you're a film nerd, like you're gonna love Tao because he's very much one of us. Yes. Uh maybe a little too much because he does he is kind of a little overprotective of Charlie, but he is, and but I, I think um I certainly understand why he acts that way. And, mm -hmm. and I think what's lovely is by the end of this season, Tao understands that he was being overprotective and how he was partly to blame for the friction that evolves in their friendship. Yeah. Again, so, one of some, the best scenes. When you care too much, you can become your own worst enemy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we don't get too much of Tara and Darcy, um, but we do like get enough of their relationship where we see um, Tara, I think, uh, where Tara, like, you know, she's the one that's having, you know, all of this like, you know, pounded on her, you know, if she comes out on Instagram and uh, and it's just like, and then she just hears like lesbian is a disease or, you know, and all of this like, you know, hate talk that's, you know, being spread around her and Darcy. And like, even Darcy doesn't have all the answers and she's been out for, or as it's been implied, she's been out for a while. And to me, that was, uh, and to me, that was, you know, something that added even more to the authenticity and, and, but also made you really care more about their relationship and wanted you to see this like, you know, seven wheel relationship go forward. <laughs> um, uh, trying to think. Uh, yeah, I, I, I liked that there was also another a queer relationship, uh, a lesbian relationship in the show. And to mm -hmm. your point, like, we've talked a lot about how this is like an idealized version of how these things can go and how it's romantic and warm, but it doesn't entirely skirt away from the hate that comes, you know, Charlie is bullied for being queer. Um, uh, and then that the, the lesbian couple, you know, faces their fair share of, of side eyes and hate as well. You know, even in the most perfect of situations, there are always going to be people who don't understand uh, queerness and it goes, you know, it's one of the old human sayings, like people are afraid of what they don't understand and what they view as different. Even though it's really not all that different, love is love is what it boils down to for anyone, I think, who stops and thinks about it rationally, but there is fear of the unknown and a lot of people don't take the time to understand it and it remains an unknown and so their reaction is to bully and hate and try and strip us of our rights as we're seeing happen in the world right now. Yay, fun times. I know, hey, I know it's happening right below me. I know. It is, yeah. A fascist is trying to destroy destroy Florida. Um, yeah, so. the, the governor of Florida is yeah, arguably- Yeah, I don't mind one, going there. No, I, I, I visit Florida there. a lot. I love the theme parks and I grew up in South Florida, but uh, you know, for me, the governor of Florida is one of the scariest men in this in this country right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. As someone who also has spent many many uh, vacations and practically grew up on the beaches of uh, the Gulf of Mexico in Florida, I and it is writing a script right now about those experiences. Mm -hmm. um, it's like. Uh, it's it's like you know wow I cannot believe this is happening out of outside of even all of that I can't believe that's happening outside you know south of you know my own state you know it, it feels that's, like we have gone yeah. like 
one step forward and now we're going three steps backwards. Oh yeah, absolutely. Maybe even more steps backward if you- Maybe. To, I just maybe. picked the first number that came to my mind that was more than one. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, 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 but I get it. But yeah, 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 yeah you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, it, we live in, you, you're right, we live in fun times. And that's yeah. why these shows and these stories are so important. Because if they <laughs> open up anyone's eyes to the reality of it, or if it comforts someone who's really struggling, say someone in Florida, 16, 17, is, is either considering transitioning or is reconciling their own queerness and sexuality, particularly when the governor of your state is saying, don't say gay and all of this horrible stuff to then be able it's to go on. The, it's eliminating the history of our, of our community Correct. out of, you know, the out history books. The history books and the libraries to then be able to log on to Netflix or Hulu or whatever and watch a show like this. That can be a really powerful salve for someone. And that's important. That's why I think sometimes you need overly idealized queer stories. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, art might might be our last defense against this, you know, against this regime. So it's very. I mean, I firmly believe art can and does save lives, change minds. Words and story, words and storytelling are our greatest, our greatest weapon, our greatest currency, our greatest asset as humans. And I think it's what separates us from all other species is our ability to tell stories, use our language, and maybe impact change with all of those things. Absolutely. Our, absolutely. And, and from that, um, yeah, I just agree. I completely agree. And from from that, uh, uh, is there anything left to talk about with Heartstopper? I don't know. I mean, I am effusive in my praise for the show. If anyone listening has not watched it, stop what you're doing and go watch it. It's eight episodes. They're half an hour each. You can easily watch it in one sitting. Um, it's warm and lovely and beautiful and important. And, you know, I, I think, Kale, you and I have like, jumped off on a lot of different topics in the last hour but i think that's what is so special about this show and great art it can be a starting point for conversations that need to be had um and yeah i i just i love this show and i can't wait we'll have to we'll have to do a, a follow-up when season two comes out absolutely i i am waiting in bated breath on when that release date's happening because and, and you should pick up the graphic novels because I think you said you haven't read them. And and by the way, they are very, very similar because Alice Oseman was heavily involved with writing and producing the show. They are very similar. They did not make a lot of changes. Okay, so that's my next question. Okay, so that was going to be a question. Um, how, you don't have to go on a long tangent, but how similar are they? Like how in compare and contrast is her source material to this? I would say this is one of the most true to the source material adaptations I've seen in quite a while. Because okay. I think I think graphic novels more so than prose are almost like a play, right? Because you have you, you're not telling a story, you're showing illustrations and then you're having dialogue. So a lot of the story beats are the same. There are conversations that are almost taken word for word. Um, it's very, very true and faithful. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, fidelity and adaptation can be boring, but in this case, the graphic novel is so perfect and so visual that they didn't have to change that much. There's a couple little moments here and there, and obviously music and shot selection and all that. But in terms of the arc, the characters, very close. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Uh, so with that, um, I think we can table this till next season. Okay. Um, we are gonna, I, I can't, I can't wait for next season. Um, but if you, if you don't have, I guess if you don't have anything else, like we can wait till second season to talk about, 
Um, if you don't have anything, uh, where can the good people find you? Do you have a YouTube channel? Um, go ahead, do it, plug all. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell. My Instagram is Cinemaxwell Inc. Um, I have a YouTube channel with my best friend, Amber Coates, uh, Amber Productions. You can follow that Twitter at Amber Products, P-R-O-D-U-X. Um, we've done a few things on the channel. We have a lot planned in the coming months. Um, we were a little slow going because this, that, and the other thing, but we have a lot of exciting stuff coming there soon. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, and all of those will be in the description below uh, for you to find. I'll even do hyperlinks uh, so it'll be easier. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Max. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. This uh, means a lot. Um, thank you for having me. And yes, we are going to have we're gonna have to we're gonna have to come back we're gonna have to probably we're gonna have to do something for heartstopper season two something very special um okay. and uh yeah and you can follow me on twitter at movie kale uh this is where you get all the information on my show uh and just stay up to date on when stuff's coming out and uh we'll be back very soon um, trying to think of the chronology of the show. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week with Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I know. Uh, thanks, everyone. We'll be back with you very soon. Oh, you gay for them. <laughs> What's going on? Nick's lost all his friends. He's getting into fights. He might be changing with do you ever feel like you're only doing things because everyone else is and you're scared to change? Just miss how things used to be with the four of us. You're a good friend. I know. If he is even slightly mean to you, kick your murder him. I was going to say, send him a strongly worded DM, but murder's fine too. I want to believe in romance.